Lesbian speaking. Lesbian speaking. Lesbian speaking. Lesbian speaking may contain adult content and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Today, I would like to give a big shout out to Karen and Kelly for your support on Patreon. If you would like to help this podcast out, hey, help me pay the bills. Go to patreon.com forward slash lesbian speaking. You'll even get some backside content. Do you use Rakuten? If not, why aren't you? All you have to do is go through Rakuten through the app or the website to make your online purchases and every quarter you get cash back. Even better than that, Rakuten helps you find the deals of the day where you can get the most cash back and the products that you're looking for. Sign up through the link in this episode today and you'll get an additional $30 cash back on your first purchase of $30 or more. This is for a limited time, so make sure you sign up today. Welcome to this episode of Lesbian Speaking. Today I have Jamie Andrea Garzo, the author of Unconventional. This is her memoir of entrepreneurism, politics, and pot. <laughs> yes, we're, get, we're getting into the nitty-gritty today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, this book, let me tell you, this book is a wealth of knowledge. Something that I love is getting into the legalities of a business, and you certainly did a great job of detailing the hoops that you had to go through. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there were there were a few of them along yes. the way. How many, when you started, because you um, the book is detailing you owning the shops and creating the basic legalization of what we know is pot today. Mm -hmm. How many competitors did you have when you started? So when I started, you know, it was, it was 2009, it was in California. And even though California was the first state to legalize cannabis, it was, it was a complete wild west. And so what we saw were a lot, and, and this is still the case in California today, unfortunately, but there's still shops that open up whenever, wherever, without any, um, I guess, respect for jurisdictions, ordinances, oh, yes. um, you know, the, the, the process. So even in a, in a regulated marketplace like today, this still happens. But back in the day, so back in 2009, mm -hmm. um, there were probably 30 unregulated stores in the city of Reading. There were, I think, three um, in the city of Shasta Lake at one point. That's where my first store was. And right. it was it was kind of a mess. And so over the years, we saw those kind of you know, dwindle away and get whittled down as the city cracked down and started to enforce its ordinance, which in the case of Reading, it was a, it was a ban. Um, and then they kind of ramped back up in later years and did allow, uh, did allow stores at, at a later date, but um, it was, it was complete wild west and, and still is in some, in some areas. Los Angeles is a, is a great example of um, yeah. that. Yeah. It sounded like it. there is um, one part of the book where you described uh, um a grower coming in to show product and you were, you were talking about how just the look of his fingers walking in <laughs> and, and the lack of, for better word for him, but professionalism coming into that environment. And you're like this, we need to change this because customers are not going to like this. Well, I mean, there was, there was no regulation back when I, when I opened up and there were like some very loose guidelines, but there were nothing like it is today in California and in a lot of other States. And so 
California was has done this used to do it in a very strange way. It was this closed loop of patient to patient. Everything had to be done at your house. There was no, um, you know, the health department was not involved at all. And so mm. you were kind of at the mercy, me being a retailer of right. literally what somebody brought through your, through your front door. And, um, you know, in some cases, the level of hygiene of the person bringing it in was not um, what I wanted represented right. on my on my shelf. So right. um, that caused me to kind of take matters into my hand, own hands, and and I started the edible line for that very reason. Wow, wow! Which I mean, that's another great story. When you were doing the edibles, was there any other shops that were making edibles? Not, not that I knew of in the area, and that was you know for me because I'm. I never really have been a smoker of any kind. I mm-hmm. never smoked cannabis, even medically or recreationally. I use the edibles. And so for me, um, getting those dialed in, because they can do so much harm if you overconsume. It's not right. as easy to overconsume if you're, if you're smoking pot or cannabis. It is very easy to overconsume if you're eating um, you know, edibles and you don't know how strong they are. So right. for me, dialing that in and... and, and taking it into my own hands so I could control the the cleanliness of the environment. Mm-hmm. I could control the potency. I can control the availability. For me, that was critical to my operation. And, you know, at, at least in, in my neck of the woods, I was the only one that was doing it like that. And I had the, you know, luxury and the, and I guess, you know, fortunate to have a little kitchenette in my, in my store, mm-hmm. um, like in the back office area. So I was able to convert that and use that. But, right. um, that did set us apart. And the patients at the time, because remember it was medical only, the patients really appreciated that. Oh yes, absolutely. Because especially for medical, you need to take a specific dose for the problems that you're having. Speaking of that, for those of you who don't know, if you read the book, you'll read, you'll know the details, but you need to get a certain amount of uh, milligrams. And that's basically what you get when you smoke a joint is you get a specific amount of milligrams that can either help you or make you high or, make you not feel well at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so what Jamie's describing here is the process that's created to be able to dose that out properly, which was huge, especially when you say that we've migrated to having legalization here in the state. In Washington state, we used those procedures that you put into place in California and they've come across the board. So the changes that you made have helped the country really. It's, it's, it's still, it's still work in progress. I mean, there's, there's, we've come so far compared to where it was when I started in 2009, but there's still so much work to do. There um, and so, you know, baby steps and, and progress and acknowledging that, yes, we are kind of all building on everybody else and, and California, while they did pave the way by being the first state to legalize medical cannabis back in 1996, you know, as I do say in the book, and in a lot of ways, they are the poster child for how not to do things because they, it was such a shit show uh, because the state did just kick the can down the road and they didn't, um, you know, make good on the, on the promises of prop 215, which was the ballot initiative that legalized cannabis in 1996 um, for a long, long time. And so you had this void and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, nature of pours a vacuum. So, um, the cannabis industry filled it and not always with the best actors. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and with that, um, I think that another step that could come along in my personal opinion is um, letting people know within the state, what is regular (laughs) to purchase. Right. So I've heard a story of somebody went to New York and went to a shop and they asked because they were not a user and they asked, 
what dose do I need? And they handed them a thousand milligram candy bar. Oh God. Now, and no. they said, this is what you need for tonight. And they said for oh. tonight. And luckily they reached out to somebody else and they were like, does a whole kit? Cause I hear stories where people don't eat mm-hmm. a whole candy bar. <laughs> no, don't eat a whole candy bar. You guys. <laughs> Well, but that's, that's part of the problem is like a lot of the stores, they're, they're handing this out literally like candy. And, right. you know, we have this, this, you know, ingrained consumer psychology that if you're talking about a candy bar, that's one serving. Like you go right. into any store, right? That's your serving size. Right. We don't buy a candy bar like a Hershey's and like parcel it out into 10 pieces and eat like one over the course of 10 days. No, we eat the whole exactly. goddamn bar. Exactly. And, and so... Exactly. So if you go and you buy something from a cannabis store and, and the, and the people that work there are not doing consultating with, if they're not, if they're not consulting with you Mm -hmm. uh, as to, you know, what is your, what is your level of experience with cannabis? And and we would do this in my stores is, you know, rank it, you know, one to 10. Um, and they're not having that conversation. Then somebody's going to have a really shitty night. Right. And that's something that you described so well in your book that you are doing is you are taking those customers from shops down the road and saying, okay, no, what do you really need this for? And you started help actually helping customers who may not have been there with a medical card, but may have been there for medical reasons. And I love that Mm -hmm. you told the story in that way. Cause I look, if you guys have ever think about trying cannabis for any pain relief, uh, any kind of illness. I had a, a friend in the nineties who used it when he had, he was passing from AIDS and it helped him keep food down. Like there's so many reasons to use it. And if you're in a good shop and you walk in and you tell them why you need it, they will give you the right product. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Jamie speaks of in the book. Yeah. It's so important. Right. Now you also talk about a lot about the different employees that you've had. Mm-hmm. And the great experiences and the not so great experiences, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, my first question is, w- when you interview an employee, do you ask them, do you use pot? Not always. Okay. Um, and, and so, and I always, because, you know, at first, so the, the employee piece is really interesting because, you know, I think, for, at least for me, you know, I, and maybe just to give a little bit of backstory, I, you know, my degree is in, is in British literature, not business. This was mm-hmm. my first business. I jumped into this cold. Um, so I didn't have a lot of, you know, prior business experience. I hadn't taken it in any college course. So for me, getting into opening a, a business, I, I kind of felt, I, I there was a lot that I had to figure out on the fly right. and employee management was one of them. And, and out of all the components that go into running a business, really employee management, human resources is the biggest, um, I don't want to say energy suck, but like, that's where you, you do end up focusing really a lot is. of your time is your, is yeah. like, you know, hiring your team, growing your team, managing your team, all of that. And so, you know, I, I, I didn't expect that. And I had, you know, in the early years, people that, that wanted to get into the industry, they wanted to work in the stores. They thought, oh, cool, I'm just going to get paid to, you know, smoke pot all day. Mm-hmm. And, and, I had to, and I had to say, you know, no, that's really not what this is about. And, um, and I have very high expectations um, of myself, of my staff, of my stores. And so that was kind of, a, I think, a rude awakening for people that got into at least working for me. And they realized, oh, shit, this is not, this is not just like, you know, getting a high all day and getting paid for it. Um, right. 
And oh, so, you could lose your store if you're doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, because on-site consumption is not allowed, and mm-hmm. and I had a very um, strict, like zero tolerance policy, and it, it was in my handbook. If if you come to work under the influence of anything, cannabis, cough syrup, Vicodin, you, you will you will be asked to go home and maybe uninvited to work here. Mm. I, it super super important to me, and it was and I and I held to that. And there were people that that I did uninvite to, um, to, to, right. to work for me because of that. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's just, I, I, talking about, you know, what I went through with the employees was, I think, important, an important piece of a memoir that's about business. Right, right. And you did explain a lot of those steps that you went through very clearly and the learning process that you went through mm-hmm. and you also recognize the mistakes that you've made with the employees. Yes. But then, and I think you know, I, but, but going back to your question, you know, did I ask yeah. people if they smoke pot? Right. Um, you know, in the early days it was kind of a given that they did because of the way the California law worked. And that's that you had to be a, a medical cannabis patient to even be on the premise. Right. So that closed loop made my, my hiring pool really, really small. And so, but what changed, and this is one of the, one of the, you know, really great things about regulation is it freed up that, that, um, that, that requirement. I could go in and I could hire whoever I wanted. I could hire people that just really wanted like a good paying job. They wanted to work for a small employer. Um, you know, I paid a really good starting wage. So they wanted to make, you know, they wanted to make a, a good wage out of the, out of the gate. They wanted to learn about a new industry, but they weren't experienced in it. And so, that was something that was great for me later on. And what I would always tell people that, that I was interviewing um, is, look, you don't have to have any experience. You don't have to know a lot about this industry. I, that was, I was never concerned with that because for me, it was always more important to like look at that individual and, you know, do they meet the qualifications? But even more importantly, how are they going to mesh with my customers? How are they going to mesh with my existing team? I can teach them all they need to know about cannabis. Like that's not, that's not the hard part. The hard part is getting that personality that is spot on. That's going to, you know, not rock the boat. That's just going to, you know, be there. Like you can tell, you know, the people that are going to just be (laughs) all the, bring all the drama or the people that are not going to be great for your customers. And so, um, at the beginning, yes, I, it was a given that everybody was going to consume cannabis at some point, you know, right. um, just not on the clock with me. But then in later years, it was really, um, you know, I, I saw a lot of people that were excited about, you know, the opportunity of a new industry and what that mm-hmm. can mean for them professionally. Right, right. Yeah, it was, uh, I understand what you're talking about. Growing the team is so much more important mm-hmm. than the task. And that's when I was a hiring manager, I would say the same thing. I just, we yeah. need a personality. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So getting into um, that part of it with, with having employees who would partake, when you were creating the edibles, that came in really handy with the testing process. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so the uh, when I started the edible line, you know, mm-hmm. this was kind of my brainchild, and, and I... I I could make up my own little batch of brownies. I could whip together like a rice krispie treat, and so I was the chef, and that, and so I could control the recipes. But right. as it got more popular, I had to bring on professional chefs to, you know, really grow the the, the product line the way I wanted. Like I wanted right. some cool stuff. I wanted the artisan edibles. I didn't just want to have brownies on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we would launch new products, 
or the chef would have an idea about something, I would say, cool, let's roll it out. Let's try it. It was always not infused because we can't be eating edibles all day long and trying to get our work done. Right. Um, however, right. there is something that I talk about in the book where the one time that um, she did not mark the bag mm-hmm. infused mm-hmm. her company policy. And I go in there looking for a little snack and um, <laughs> yeah. And you so. can't really smell it. Cause if you're at home and you pick it up, you could totally smell, right? You can't. I would assume. Yeah. Okay. And then, but if you're in a shop surrounded by it, you probably can't tell. No, and we were, no. and so, and we were, you know, it's the, it's the flour that is the most pungent, the, the buds, okay. and we were cooking with the, the keef, the concentrate, which is a powdered, um, it's a powdered concentrate. And so when you, when you mix it into certain recipes, certain recipes hide it better than others. So ah. the day that I, that I ate those, um, they were like a pumpkin spice cookie. So all okay. the spices really mask the, the flavor of the cannabis. And so I just dove right in and I never tasted it at all. Uh-huh. Until she came in and, and her face, like she was like, Oops. oh my God, what are you doing? Cause I'm a total lightweight. And, and so yeah. like, yeah, notoriously lightweight. Um, and she's like, what are you doing? You can't eat those, Jamie. And I just, oh Jesus, now I gotta go. Gotta go. Bye. So you adhered to your own policy and you went home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You gotta lead by example. <laughs> uh, right. Exactly. But it, it was just one cookie though, right? Yeah. But okay. again, okay. you know, it was, I think, I think we were doing like three in the pack. And so it was like a third of the package, which oh. is for somebody that, you know, like me, no. Plenty was, for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got home and it was, um, it was no good. Now, how many jobs can you say that you had to go home because you accidentally ate one of your pot cookies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Certainly not. You came originally, wait, you, you worked in public relations, right? I was a community relations rep for PG. Community. Okay. But, but since like, you know, the, when I entered the workforce at 15 and a half, I've always Mm -hmm. done something, you know, related to customer service or sales. So that's, that's my strong background. Yeah. Yeah. Which obviously helped, uh, because you, you not only created this new recipe for sales, but you created a new um, customer base. You had different people coming in that probably never would have come in off the street because you had this friendly professional style business. Yeah, that was something that was part of my vision from the very beginning was getting away from kind of the, the 420 lifestyle, the, the stoner culture theme of the stores right. and, and, you know, just to explain, like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I saw back in 2008 and nine, you know, before I opened my stores was that, you know, the, the, the shops that were there at the time were very narrowly focused on this one customer demographic. And so for me, I saw the opportunity to, you know, blow that wide open and just create a store and an environment, you know, the vibe of the, of, of the, of the store that was inclusive to everybody. So as somebody at the time, you know, I was in my mid thirties, you know, business professional, I could walk in and not feel out of place. Cause I didn't really ever, you know, align with that stoner culture. That just wasn't me. Right. And so I wanted to, I wanted a vibe that, that was more neutral, more inclusive. And, and I got that, that feedback from people all the time. Like they'd walk in and go, wow, this is just really nice. This isn't what I expected. It doesn't, 
you know, it doesn't look like a head chop. And I went, perfect. That's, that's my, that's my point. I, it, it right. shouldn't, um, right. again, not, I mean, no disrespect. That's people are, you know, getting their, getting their vibe on doing that and, and going down that road and setting up their stores in that manner. And that's cool. That's good for them. Mm-hmm. For me, I wanted something different. So I crafted my store and, and for somebody that was, you know, a little more like me, a business professional person could walk in and feel at home or right. at least feel comfortable. Right. I know you're saying, um, no disrespect, but to me, it's this, it's the same feeling of, you know, do you want to go to a van store or do you want to go to a Doc Martin store? They're going to be very different, right? Yeah. So it's the same thing. So it shouldn't totally. be a disrespect. It's a matter of what makes you comfortable. Well, what makes the customer comfortable? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it turned out to be a great recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I guess when you're, when you're kind of making it up as you go, you, you have an idea, you hope it works. Mm-hmm. And then to see it kind of, you know, pan out the way you, the way you hoped is, um, it's very, it's very rewarding. Right. And you not only did that with the storefront, but you did that with the actual packaging and labeling too. Yeah. It just across the board, everything was kind of had a higher, higher end feel, um, kind of an elegant look to it. And that was, cause I, I felt like those are themes that transcend time. Those are, you know, it doesn't matter where, like who you are, that you're going to, you know, people always like a high end feel right. of something, whatever right. it is. And so with that in mind, that was kind of what I set out to create and, and yeah, it worked. Right. Now you, you sold the businesses, right? Yes. In 2020. Okay. In 2020. Yeah. Okay. Did you do any online sales before you sold? No, no. Okay. No, okay. no, no, we did. Um, so no, no sales were online. Um, and that was per California regulations. You could do okay. delivery. And so I did launch the delivery, you know, delivery, which is, you know, the customers could go online, place their order. It would be fulfilled in the store. And then we, you know, drive it to their, to their home. Right. Right. Okay. Beyond having the business, you were also a part of, wait, 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 I got my notes here. Um, the commission Help me out here. Oh, the uh, yeah, the planning, planning commission. Yeah. Commi- yeah. Um, so getting on with the planning commission, that what you described to me took so much focus and so much energy. You were doing that. You were creating and growing this business, the Five Thirty mm-hmm. Collective, still at mm-hmm. that time. Yes. And you were also going through things with your then husband. Yes. So your <laughs> plate. <laughs> was crazy. It, it it was a lot, and I think you know. I think it the, part of like one of the points I want to make. I guess right now it's a good time to talk about this. Is in writing the book. I mean, there's there's several reasons why I wrote the book, but for me, learning what it takes to run a small business. You know, you have this idea and you have this vision of what you want and like, Mm -hmm. it's like, go. Okay. So you think, you think you're going to be focused and spending all this time on doing this one thing. The reality is very different because it's, it's a lot like life. I mean, you don't just ever do one thing. There's all these other things going on and, and life happens in the middle of trying to run this business. And so Mm -hmm. for me, writing the book, telling not just the success stories, but all of the personal struggles that I went through because mm-hmm. it's going to happen to anybody. Hopefully, hope to God nobody has all that shit happen that I went through, but still it's going to be, there's going to be their share of, of things. And so that's, that's the message is that no matter what highs or what lows, you've got to keep going and mm-hmm. you can't lose sight of, of, of what it is you want to do, what, what you are doing and why you're doing it, no matter what else is going on. And so, yeah, I mean, I didn't, 
I didn't expect that when I started that I would end up being appointed to the planning commission and, and having that responsibility. But it was a, it was great. It was fantastic. I didn't expect all of the roller coaster drama um, mm-hmm. with, with the man who's now my ex-husband. And, and, and it's, I don't regret any of it because there's too many good lessons that I learned as a result right. um, that have made me a better person, a better employer, just a better human. So I, I, I wouldn't change it, but yeah, there was a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what you really showed through all of that is your, your personal life can be completely fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. And you can still get up every day and accomplish your personal goals regardless of course, you went through struggles through that like anybody else, but you still kept going. Mm-hmm. And how many people would have just said, I can't handle all of this. I have to throw in a towel somewhere. And you still just kept going. Yeah, I think part of that it is my natural, just natural tenacity that I mm-hmm. have had my whole entire life. Right. And the other side of it is just, I wasn't going to let that motherfucker win. I mean, yeah. just talking about just like, I, no, like I, I wanted, I wanted to succeed more than I wanted to let all of the, the shit from his, you know, all the stuff that he was going through that was dragging, trying to drag me down. I wasn't going to let that happen. Like right. that. So, so that just, yeah, I mean, I, I never, I not once did I ever think of quitting that, that was just, yeah. that was never an option. It, and that's not to say that I wasn't ever, that I didn't ever think, well, gosh, maybe this business will fail. Maybe I'm not going to succeed at this. Of course you think about that, but it's more like in a theoretic way. It's not, uh-huh. I never gave any energy to that fear and certainly um, really not to the drama that was going on. I, I mean, as right. much as I could let it go, and, I did, but. And go, going through that drama led you to, right? That's what led you to the very interesting friendship correct with the sheriff oh yeah there's the sheriff yeah <laughs> i mean who who would have thought that you uh-huh. know somebody who owns a who owns a pot shop in a ultra conservative part of california um ends up being friends with the the captain of the sheriff's department and and not just and not just him but his whole family and in fact right. we're, we're still friends today and and um i got a text from him a couple weeks ago but yeah. um good people good people and and that's that's part of the journey that Again, one of the, one of the pieces that I never expected, but it's mm-hmm. just part of the the beauty of this of this life, and just um, never knowing what is coming your way, right? Or the people that you will have in your life. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you can have people in your life where you have opposite worlds, but you yeah. can find where you meet in the middle and grow a yeah. friendship. So I think I thought that was a beautiful part of the story. It was like, oh wow, look at that! <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely unexpected, but it was. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm I'm fortunate to have them as friends still to this day after all oh, of those, right. after all yeah. those years. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, oh, that that's been a lot of years. Wow, it's been a lot of years. <laughs> Does yeah. it feel like it for you? <laughs> yeah. After you went through things with your ex husband, you you seem to go through another state of flourishing, right? Because you mm-hmm. were on the the planning commission. You had made great strides, and there were so many details that you went through i did okay here's a better question did you keep notes all throughout those years of all the regulations that popped up and what all of them were no you just remember yeah it's just i mean there were like when i was writing the book you mean 
Like yeah. I had to, yeah, there were a couple things I had to go like, God, what was that? Like a couple case law that case laws that I referenced. It's like, God, uh-huh. that was that one. But a lot of it just came, came back to me immediately because it was so, it was so important that I learn it and that I understand it when it was happening. Um, that it's just, it's just ingrained in me now, but yeah, it was a lot. And, and th- again, that was part of the other, one of the other unexpected things was getting into all of that. Like who sits there and reads case law? Right. I mean, if you're, unless you're an attorney, right. Mm-hmm. Um, who reads other cities ordinances, who reads, you know, like all the legislation, like verbatim page by page. Yeah. I had to right. because I needed to understand it. Right. Um, and so <laughs> how many other shop owners do you feel were doing that much homework? In my area, I don't think anybody was. I think, yeah. you know, in in probably parts parts of the state like San Francisco, I'm sure there were there were people in my position that were really wanting to um raise the bar of the industry. They were wanting to get involved with the process. They were wanting to legitimize, um, you know, the, the, the industry as a whole. Right. And so to do that, you really do have to like dig in, you have to read it, you have to understand it and you have to be able to articulate it. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in my world, I would say I was probably the only one. Right. Um, but in the bigger cities, I'm sure I was, uh, yeah, I'm sure there were people doing the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. So did you encounter times where other shops in the area were getting hit with regulations that you're like, Oh, so glad I did the homework on that. Yeah. It's just, it's, and then I, I, you know, kind of got a reputation as, as somebody who did know them. And so I would, I would always, you know, people would reach out to me, Hey, and and not just, not just um, other industry operators, although some industry operators, but you know, other cities, Mm you know, 90 miles down the, down the freeway from where we were, they didn't have anything like this. And they, you know, are looking at, at the possibility and they want to come visit a store. They want to see what it's like. And so call Jamie. Yeah. And so I, I did a lot of outreach years of outreach, um, for, for that reason as well. But, but yeah, also within my own industry, people trying to understand it, wanting to make sense of it. Um, especially when regulations hit because, you know, a lot of the operators were below board and, and to, mm-hmm. to make that transition from the shadows into the light. Um, it's a lot, it can be overwhelming. And so I'd been, I'd been doing this for years. And so I kind of felt like it was part of my responsibility and my obligation to help these other members of the industry kind of have a smoother transition or as smooth a transition as, as possible. Right. That's amazing. What was it that made you decide to get into the industry in the first place. So kind of a, a couple of things converged all together. And, and so the first one is that I, I had always had a dream of having my own business, right. despite not having a degree or having any interest in doing that in college. I had always wanted to have my own business. I wanted to have that experience. And so before this, I'd had some ideas bounced around in my mind and, and nothing ever really came to fruition. But um, so that was the, the kind of the, the, the first piece and then the other piece was that in my mid thirties, I started to suffer from insomnia. Oh, um, okay. Like I could go to sleep beautifully, but mm-hmm. then my brain would kick back on around 2am, 3am, whatever. And I would just stay awake and my days ruined. And so after trying 
a bunch of over-the-counter stuff, even some prescription stuff. I hated how I felt. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine said, "Well, why don't you why don't you try cannabis?" I said, "Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't smoke. I don't I don't like it." Um, mm-hmm. And they said, "No, no, try the edibles." And so I did. And wouldn't you know, um, they they work like a charm. And so I, I literally became a believer overnight. So that was the the kind of the second piece. And the third piece was that um, has to do with Obama. And he had been, he had just been elected. And the reason this matters is that up until he was elected, we were under the Bush administration. And he was very, President Bush was very, very clear that he was going to send the DEA after store operators. Right. And he was spending federal money to do that. Um, and so that was happening. There, there mm-hmm. were operators that were just, you know, doing what they were doing within the confines of California law, but then DEA shows up with their guns drawn and nobody wants that. So when Obama took office, he was very clear that he was not going to spend federal resources to enforce state, like for, for states that had this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of gave people like myself the comfort, peace of mind to be able to take this risk, which starting a new business or any business is always a risk, but Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of, takes the equation. So you had these three pieces, at least for me. And the city of Shasta Lake was um, a small city that was open to it. And I thought, hell, why not? Let's, let's, let's see how this goes and give it a shot because um, like all the green lights were lining up and I mean, you got, you got to try. Gotta try. <laughs> you gotta try. Go for the leap. Go for the yeah. leap. It is. I mean, I'm one of those people. I'm like, man, how did she just walk away from, stability and take this huge leap into something that could just (laughs) fall apart any day. And you know, and I, and I, and I, I, I say that in the book that my dad was like, Mm -hmm. I just don't get it. You know, you're going to go start a pot shop. What the hell? Cause I, you know, PG&E is a good company and and I had a you know great job. I actually liked what I did. Um, but I, what I told him and what I say in the book is that, you know, look, there will always be another job out there. Mm -hmm. At some at some point, if I need there to be, there may never be another opportunity like this. So I'm going to roll a dice. I'm going to see what I'm going to see what happens, and I'm going to take a risk. And yeah. if I fail, I fail. Um, so what? At least I'll have tried. At least I'll have given it a shot. And if and if it succeeds, fantastic. And it ended up succeeding well beyond what I ever could have possibly imagined. But um, but I, you know, yes, it was a risk, and it was worth it. And right. It was actually the perfect timing in the perfect industry to walk into and, and so historical because the, we're still in the baby steps of the country legalizing marijuana federally. Mm-hmm. It, someday it's going to happen, you guys. I'm sorry, but yeah. it's going to happen. Um, and until that point, we have people like Jamie to come in and create this path in order to make it a good product. <laughs> It's it's like when you see on Weeds. Did you watch Weeds, the show? I watched a couple episodes, yeah. A couple but episodes. But I was too busy okay. living it. I couldn't, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I truly. But you didn't burn your house down, so that's great. No. no. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last episode, though, they walk into, they walk into like a Rite Aid, and behind the counter with the cigarettes are, it's Marlboro's that are marijuana cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's. That's where we're moving to, but now we're talking to one of the people who helped create that process, really. And well, well, <laughs> no, keep going. 
No, I think I think it's just important to acknowledge that the the steps that you've taken are just so much creating this historical foundation of what we're going to see throughout the country in the future. I mean, it's coming, and the work it that is, you did and, started like, it. And almost it seems like almost every election that we have in in every state, there's mm. there's more that there's more that come online, you know, every year, and it could right. be for. Um, decriminalization. It could be for CBD permissibility. It could be for medical. It could be for adult use. It could be for everything. Um, but you know, we are making progress every single election. We've seen States come online. Um, you know, and there's, there's pros and cons to that too. I mean, normalization, there are problems with normalization of anything. And so Mm -hmm. we do need to make sure that we are doing things responsibly and we have outreach and we have education, we have awareness, um, because this is, you know, cannabis, it's mind altering. It's not, um, I, I think it's safer than some things, but it's still mind altering and it's not for children. And, and so there, there is the heavy weight of responsibility of not just the consumers, but the operators. So, um, and that's kind of, you know, one of, you know, kind of what we have to just be aware of when we start talking about not just legalizing, but what normalizing means for our communities. Exactly. Which is probably the same type of conversations that they have surrounding alcohol, especially after prohibition, right? How are we going to regulate this? Yeah. Yes. And it is important to recognize. It's also important to recognize that for, for those of you who have the argument of, well, with alcohol, we have breathalyzers. So if you're, Mm -hmm. you know, operating a field, well, we do actually have saliva strips that we can test and see what your level is. Mm -hmm. Um, how accurate? I don't. I don't know that much about that kind of stuff. I just know it exists. And if we look, we can get to the moon. And you're <laughs> telling me that we can't test how what your THC level is in your body while you're driving. I mean, come on. I I'm with you. It seems like we should be able to do this, and right. with you know, with with all the advances in in technology that we have. Um, but what I what I have learned is that. You know, unlike alcohol, which is water soluble, mm-hmm. cannabis is fat soluble. So it does stay in our systems. That doesn't mean that we are impaired simply because right. it's in our blood. And so where with alcohol, it's very easy to test for exposure because if we've been exposed, usually we're impaired. So that mm-hmm. that that distinct that that correlation between exposure and impairment is a lot close that it it's it's a lot closer with alcohol. Mm-hmm. With cannabis just because you've been exposed to it does not mean you're impaired because right. the test can show positive in my system, meaning that I was exposed to it three days ago. Right. I'm not impaired. And right. so we have a system of, of testing for drugs in this country. That's all really based on water soluble uh, methods. And so being fat soluble, it needs a lot more than just um, like a breathalyzer. Mm-hmm. However, with as much, uh, as prolific as cannabis is in the world, you would mm-hmm. think that somebody somewhere would have figured this out. Right. Like it doesn't seem that difficult. And you know, what does come with the, um, some of the initiatives in, in California, this was the case that some of the money that, that is supposed to come in from the cannabis industry is supposed to go to the California highway patrol to develop mm-hmm. some of these systems. Well, so far, you know, we California legalized in 16 and here we are 23 and that really hasn't happened yet. So, right. um, why is that? I, I, I don't, I don't know, but yeah. Where is the money really going? So you always wonder when you sign things in an act and I don't remember what it was specifically in our state. I think it was something for the schools 
where they said, okay, we're going to legalize it. And this money is going to go to this. We're going to get this extra money to go to the schools, whatever it was. And then they're like, now we're going to raise your property taxes for the schools. And we're like, wait a minute. Didn't you say that was coming from what? <laughs> yeah. It's funny how things change, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with that being said, with having an alcohol test, the water-based testing, like he said, what do we have for the legal opioids that are out there? How do we test fentanyl while you're driving a car? Yeah. You know, these same, we have these illegal substances even on the street that we can't do, uh, what's it called? A breathalyzer. We can't do, you know, anything just on the road yet. Alcohol is the only substance that we really care about testing. Is that, that's kind of how I feel it is. Yeah. And it's yeah. because, well, Oh, that's, the legal one or the non-prescription one or the <laughs> it's more, it's definitely more socially acceptable. Um, right. And I guess, you know, there, there are field sobriety tests that, that any of the officers or, you know, deputies can, can do while they have somebody pulled over, but, but they're not, they're not definitive. And no. I, I, I mean, I'm sure the officers might have something to say um, about that. And, but I don't think that they are as black and white as a, no. like a, a, a test from the lab. Right. Well, yeah. And those things start getting into people's disabilities or mm-hmm. um, just inability to do certain things, you know, like the thing, some people can't move their fingers like that just because they can't, yeah. you know? Um, right. Yeah. There's a lot of different vari- variables when it comes to that. But I think ultimately, you know, if we wanted to make it super strict, but super powerful, we know that we can go and take your blood and we can get detailed information that way. Look, if you're in an accident and you're impaired, they're going to take your blood when you get to the hospital. Yeah. Um, so just don't be impaired. Period. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. be, be responsible, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. treat it like and, you would alcohol. Don't, don't get behind the wheel. I mean, a lot yeah. of it is common sense, but again, common sense isn't all that common, right? Throughout your career in the shops, what do you think was the best takeaway for yourself in all of this? Probably the probably the thing that I value the most out of my time spent was what I learned about personal strength Mm. and this, you know, going back to some, you know, what you'd mentioned about all like how busy I was and all of the the personal strife that I was going through at least, you know, like in 2012, 13 and 14. Um, Mm -hmm. not that I got any less busy. I actually got more busy after that, but a lot of the, um, like the real tense personal drama with, with the man who's now my Mm ex-husband, that was, that was a big drain. And, and so the, the, the personal strength, like living that, breathing that every day and still getting up and still choosing success Mm -hmm. and, and being committed to that and seeing it through um, and knowing that now having kind of lived that, like trial by fire. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I want to do it again, but I could. Right. And, and that I, I have faith in myself. I have confidence in myself to handle fucking anything. Yes. Because I have, because I've had to. And, you know, you say, well, a lot of people would have just given up. And, and I think, you know, maybe sometimes you, you hear stories of people, you know, going through a lot of things and then still succeeding. And they say, Oh, well, I could never. It's like, I, I think a lot of people underestimate themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because when you have to, it's amazing what you're able to accomplish. And absolutely for me, quitting was never an option. Giving up was never an option. Um, I, I always wanted to win more. I wanted to succeed more. And even, even though it got hard, even though it was, you know, a lot of tears and a lot of blood, sweat, all of it, you know, fuck it, I'm going to win. And, and so living that, that, that's that personal strength that goes with that, um, is something that I am forever grateful for. Yes. That's the biggest takeaway I think for me, I've never actually thought about just like, what is the one thing? Thank you for making me think about it. You're welcome. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to make you think of something else. (laughs) That is amazing though. Cause that's one of the things that I, um, you know, I find pride in myself is being able to go through just the worst of things and wake Mm -hmm. up each day and say, here's my goal sheet. I'm going to get it done regardless. Yeah. And when you get through it, Oh, it's so hard doing it. But when you do get through it, you do see the power in yourself. Yes. Very empowering. Very absolutely. Yes. So what, okay, now I'm going to, um, cause you know, like an interview, I'm going to go the opposite. <laughs> yep. What, what's, what's the worst part of it? Oh no. Oh, I like that. No, I think, um, so I, the worst part, again, I, this is going to tie into the, to the, the personal side of it. And mm-hmm. maybe, and let me think about the business. Well, um, you know, the, the relationship that I talk about with, with the, the, the ex-husband, mm-hmm. um, was incredibly toxic. And I think me always wanting to never wanting to give up on something, you know, that right. I think that can be a strength. It can also be a weakness. And in this exactly. case, it was definitely a weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have let that motherfucker go like yes. long before I realized that he was, you know, screwing around with the staff. Um, and so for me, that was probably, I don't know, I don't know if, I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking. So feel free to ask again, but like the thing that was the hardest lesson to learn, or maybe the the worst piece of it was going through all of the things that I went through with him Mm -hmm. and trying again and again and again, um, things that trying to fix things that were really not my job to fix, but you know, staying, hanging on too long, not giving, not quitting soon enough. Cause I don't like mm-hmm. to quit, but I should have walked away from him sooner than I did. Right. Um, yeah, I was, I, and reading the story and reading about the relationship and the things that were coming up, I was like, how does she not know that she's too good for him? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think of it like, thank you. That's, that's, yeah. that's a nice, um, compliment, but I, I don't know that I ever thought about it like that. I think, right. You know, in my naive mind, um, not having been in toxic relationships up until this point, you know, there was that that part of me that got if I can just show him I love him enough that like you know that it'll be it'll be fine. Right. Um, and then of course, you know, and I don't know if, if we're going to talk about this later, but this was also before I realized that I'm a lesbian. Like, mm. so there's that whole that whole piece that yeah, that's a factor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, so that, I mean, and that, I don't know that that has anything to do with the business necessarily. I think, um, I think it does in in some way, because from what I was reading, he was wanting to have a hand in the business that you were growing and kind of to taking from your success as his own is how I was reading it. 
so he, he and I have, have different strengths. And Mm -hmm. so there were times where, you know, he had kind of wanted to cross over into like my areas of expertise and wanting to be involved with things that were really not, um, things that he should be involved with. Like he he had, he was great with certain pieces of business, um, you know, the product screening, but as far as the outreach and stuff that like, no. And so there was, there was some conflict there. And I think, I think things like that are going to happen probably anytime you have two people that are romantically involved and trying to run a business um, Mm -hmm. because there is, there's a lot of gray Um, lines get blurred but um, now in retrospect, I didn't see this at the time, but, you know, he was a narcissist. He was a control freak. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, so as I was doing these things, like getting involved with the Chamber of Commerce, getting involved with the Planning Commission, starting to do more at the state level, like he was wanting to go along because there's that, you know, he was losing control, right? Like right. I, he, he couldn't, he couldn't be there. And, and me, I, I like, that's, that's my that's where I excel is all of that outreach, all that networking. Um, and so that was part of the personal struggle that was going on with him behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. in addition to all of the emotional instability that he was, um, going through and, and kind of wrecking havoc on my life in the process. But again, right. Yeah. Not just your life, but your employees' lives too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But again, I didn't realize a lot of it was happening until much later. Some of you probably know that two of my three dogs are chihuahuas. Sweetest girls on the planet, I swear they are. But they had a bit of a problem. They were using potty pads. I didn't like it, but I couldn't help it because my Miha, she has a bad back and she can't make it all the way down the stairs to get on the lawn. Perfect solution came to me. It is doggy lawn. What is doggy lawn? It is fresh cut squares of grass that come to you on a subscription service that you put on your deck, on your patio. If you have the apartment life, this may be the perfect solution for you. And I have special deals and discounts for you if you use the link in this description or in my link tree. Look, The doggy lawn has changed my life. No more do I need to pick up potty pads every day. Miha just goes on her lawn and she's happy as can be. So check it out. If you have a little doggy that needs a little help, or if you have a big doggy that needs a lot of help, they have big lawns too. Check it out at Doggy Lawn in my link. Have you tried tuck-ins? I know what you're thinking, tuck-ins. No, these are s'mores on a stick. That's right. It's already on a stick. The marshmallow is on the outside. The good stuff is on the inside. Not only is it s'mores, but they have different flavors. You get They have peanut butter. They have cookies and cream. So good. Forget all the mess. Forget all the work. It comes right on the stick. Stick it over the fire. Toast it up and stick it right in your mouth. Go to tuckins.com. I will have the link in this episode's description. If you use discount code LEHEYZIKS, L-E-H-E-Y-E-Z-I-K-S, you will get 20% off your order. You need to try these. These are the perfect thing to take in the backyard, perfect thing to go camping. So yummy, so delicious, and so easy. Get your Tuckins today. I I think I have a dog barking. I'm surprised. I have I have five, so I'm I, I'm surprised. One at least one. Yeah. I know it's too many. Five, it's five dogs. 
Mm-hmm. I have three now. I just adopted my third. Actually, oh. tomorrow's adoption day, so it's a big day. Congratulations. Um, thank you. But you, ha- you have five dogs. We're going to talk yes. about this. Okay, this is important. <laughs> five, what kind of dogs? So I, so, you know, we're, we're a blended family at this point. So I okay. have um, my German Shepherd, Zeus, who mm-hmm. is in the, he's in the introduction. He's actually laying right, right here on the floor. Okay. Um, I have my other German Shepherd, Ivek. I have my mm-hmm. old man, 13-year-old Boogie. Boogie's also in the book. And then okay. my girlfriend, Michelle, has two. Two, so she has okay. her two. And then we, I had a cat that I brought. Okay. We got a second cat. Okay. Um, I have a giant tortoise. Not something okay. you hear about every day. No, a giant, not a, not a little tank one. No, he's 58.5 pounds. I know because I just weighed him. That's, um, <laughs> that's quite the family. So yeah. Yeah, speaking of Michelle. Yes. Because this didn't come out in the book. No, the book was written before my coming out. Before you're coming out. Okay, so this is uh, fairly recent timing in your life that we're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. although, you know, like, hindsight is is, is so valuable. Oh, yeah. Um, but I started, so my coming out was at the end of last, no, at December 21. Okay. And then that was kind of my point of realization. And then coming out publicly in January 22. Mm-hmm. So it's just been a year. So is um, it, you got on TikTok, right? What's that? You got on TikTok? I did. That's what but did it. not totally. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but that's a thing. I mean, that was, mm-hmm. so the thing that is that, so the, the piece for me about TikTok was um, just being able to see and having the exposure and realizing that this is, like it's so visible, like the community is visible mm-hmm. um, in ways that really were not open to me before. Like I, right. so I just, I turned, I turned 50 last year mm-hmm. and I realized when I was 20 that I was attracted to women. Um, and probably, well, I know before that there were things that kind of came up when I was coming out, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I was journaling like mad and I was doing a bunch of, Really, really deep introspection. Um, but I, I recognized when I was 20 that I was attracted to women. And so I told myself, well, I'm attracted to women also because mm-hmm. I always had boyfriends. And that's like a whole other thing that we can talk about if you want. But but what I realized is that it, there was no also. It right. was really just being attracted to women. And then all the, th- the reasons that I felt I needed to be with men, that I told myself I was attracted to men for 30 years Mm -hmm. um, up until December of 21 when the, you know, amazing man that I was in a relationship with, we'd been Rocky for a long, long time, but you know, I needed to get to the bottom of what the fuck was going on. Right. And so I made that commitment to myself. I made that commitment to the relationship with him because I do think so highly of him. He's an incredible human being, but like I can never connect emotionally with any man can never be available. And that really takes a toll on intimacy. Intimacy is non-existent. Um, You know, no interest in sex. And I spent like, you know, thousands of dollars, like thousands of, I don't know how many dollars on therapy trying to figure out what is wrong with me. Well, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just with the wrong gender. Um, (laughs) And so that was kind of a, um, holy shit. I'm, you know, wait a second. I'm not bisexual. Like I told myself for 30 years, I'm not, Mm -hmm. but 
so then thinking about this process, I do believe now that in the book, when I was writing the manuscript, drafting the manuscript, that is probably when I started having this midlife awakening. Right. And my coming out probably started during the book when I was, when I was drafting the manuscript, because there's, there's parts where I talk about um, masculinity and femininity and how mm-hmm. I do have a very strong masculine energy. And I talk about it in the book as, as, as it relates to business. I feel like that served me really well in right. the business world, because even though I present very feminine, I do have a more masculine edge to me. And, um, and I tell the story and, and this, cause there's, Part of this I say in the book, but there's also something that wasn't said is that, you know, a friend of mine told me I'm half dude. Cause I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like beer. I like fast cars. I, you know, don't like drama. Uh, but what he also like, what he also said was, you know, well, and you like boobs. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that didn't make it into the book. It probably should have. Um, I was so kind of surprised to... I didn't see that part, honestly, because as I was reading it, I was like, is she going to come out yet? When is it going to happen? No. And then no. I skipped to the end and you were talking about being with your partner at the time. I'm like, but that's a dude. Are we sure that's a dude? And I looked up on the internet to make sure that he was a dude. I was like, yeah, that's a dude. Yeah, he's, he's a dude. <laughs> and he's, um, he was very supportive of, of my coming out. He was shocked as hell. I mean, don't get me wrong, but yeah. Um, and he did say, he's like, God, this is the only time I ever wished I was a woman. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, he, he's been fantastic through this process. And, um, that's great. So I do think that I started the book that writing the manuscript was the catalyst for me coming out. And it mm-hmm. kind of came to the front of my consciousness in December of 21. Right. So yeah, it was kind of a, um, something I didn't see coming at all. Right so many things kind of fell into place and so many things made sense. And, and through this, you know, very, very intensive journaling that I was doing at the time, mm-hmm. I started remembering things from like when I was, you know, 10, 11, it's like, Oh, point of repression, another mm. point of repression. Um, you know, probably, probably beginning with the death of my mom. Um, and which, which I do talk about in the book when I was eight years old, but yeah. So, um, wow. but, so, so it wasn't totally TikTok. Right. Although I did meet my girlfriend on TikTok, like so many Oh, others. you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So is your girlfriend TikTok famous? Um, well, no. no. I mean, oh, I... okay. <laughs> I'm like, do I know her? <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> How long have you two been together? Um, February will be a year. A oh. year. Wow. Yeah. She made it a year. Mm. <laughs> That's long term. So I... <laughs> I came, yeah, I came out really December, publicly January. We met in February. Wow. Yeah. And then because I felt like, you know, I just have a lot of lesbian catching up to do, you know, we mm-hmm. like bought a house together after a month, U-Haul okay. to another state. Yeah. So, um, wow. Okay. I know we've done things like the hardest way possible, but yeah, here we are with our five dogs, two cats, giant tortoise, um, living the dream. <laughs> Do you have the picket fence? <laughs> Only for the tortoise. <laughs> Only for the tortoise. <laughs> well, that is, I mean, that's an amazing story. So what, what state are you residing in now? Um, I am in Indiana. Oh. Indiana. Okay. So from California to Indiana. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been a, a, a there's been some culture shock and uh-huh. um, some, some climate shock. Uh, uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. There was winters. 
Uh, uh, <laughs> there was a um, negative 35 wind chill factor a few weeks ago. And like my family, who's still all on the West Coast, they're going, what is that like? I'm like, I, I, I have no point of reference. I, it's mm-hmm. fucking cold. It's that, yeah. that's. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, never it's a horrible. <laughs> I never re- recommend negative temperatures. It's not fun. <laughs> it's like hitting 20s again here, and I'm like, oh man, why? I need to I move know. to California. <laughs> I know. Well, we just we just actually got back from a trip to the West Coast. I, you know, we started in the South and went all the way up to um, Seattle, and just like just you know seeing some of my family. But um, you know, I think for her to be in. Southern California in January. Of course, it was in, in the mm-hmm. middle of the hundred year storm that we're having, but, um, but still, you know, Southern California, it's always, it's always pretty nice. It's going to be much better. Um, yeah. For, so for her to maybe understand why I go outside and it's 50 degrees and I'm shivering, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, at the same time in the summer, you're going to be able to go outside and do stuff as opposed to be like, Oh, it's 110 degrees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's a trade off. There's a trade off. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe someday you can have a home in California and a home in, well, that's a lot of animals to take it's, back. It is. Course. We're going to have to, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Couldn't meet somebody closer. Good job. <laughs> I mean, that is such a lesbian story right look, there. You know, when I, when I got on TikTok, I was not aware that people were meeting people. Yes. Like that, uh-huh. that it's actually, you know, serves as a dating app for a lot of folks, uh-huh. which cool. That's awesome. Um, I think it's just as, as, valid as, you know, Tinder, Bumble or any of them. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. how do you meet people when you're not going to school or you're not, you know, I don't know. So, um, but, but interestingly, I did not see that coming. I didn't expect that. I got onto TikTok because I had a life coach at the time and and it was a way for me to kind of tell my coming out story as somebody who's much later, you know, life coming out much later in life as compared to some. um, Right. I don't like to say late because it implies I should have been here sooner. And, and, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like everybody shows up when they should, but there's no denying that, you know, coming out at 49, 50 is much later than most, Better late right. than never. And, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't change it even if I could because of everything I've learned. So no regrets. I do wish I had not had 30 years of terrible sex, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> there I said it. Um, but anyway, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm, now you get to like end life with a blast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you're able to take time to speak with me now because you should be in the bedroom by all means. You have a lot of making up to do. I, I do. I do. But, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I got to, I got to, you know, take, take time for me also. For, for, for you. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's important. Other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of business, um, what? What is it that you do now? This. Besides your girlfriend. <laughs> you do- <laughs> no, I You um, do speaking speaking engagements. You write mm-hmm. you wrote a book, mm-hmm. so you're doing a book tour. Yeah, so I'm so mm-hmm. I'm kind of kind of retired, kind of um not just able to um really take time and and learn more about myself and I, I right. thought I knew a lot about myself to begin with, but um really explore this new chapter in my life and, you know, enjoy this new part of the world and, Mm -hmm. you know, really 
get to know my girlfriend because like I said, we bought a house after knowing each other a month, which is stupid. And I mean, it's fun, stupid. It's not like stupid, stupid. Um, and it, again, like one of the hardest, like, I think relationships are, are difficult to begin with, but we did uh-huh. do things, um, really the hardest way possible. And right. again, I looked at it kind of like I did my opening my business. Yeah. It's a mm-hmm. risk to do this. I think my family thought I was fucking crazy. Um, right. But they do know me by this point, and nothing really surprises them anymore. But you know, well, I, I mean, thought, after look, you open a pot shop, moving in with uh, your lesbian <laughs> girlfriend after a month is probably like, oh, there goes Jamie. There goes yeah. Jamie. <laughs> but you know, I thought, look, um, this is definitely not the way a lot of people would um, handle a new relationship, and certainly mm-hmm. it could have had a rest- been a recipe for disaster. And certainly, I'm sure people have had that experience, but. Um, for me, I just thought, look, you know, fuck it. I'm 50. I'm mm-hmm. 49 when this was happening. Um, yeah. what's the worst that can Why happen, not? right? What's the worst that can happen? It's not going to work out. Okay. Right. At least I'll have tried. And right. I would rather, I would rather try, know that I tried and maybe it does work out. Maybe it is everything that I, that I wanted it to be. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 but there's only one, one there's only one way to know. So I, again, just like I did in 2009 with the store, I took that leap of faith. And, um, again, it's been, it's been difficult. There's, there's been there again, learning somebody getting to know somebody in the midst of trying to remodel your house that you just bought. Like, Mm. but I've also learned Mm -hmm. a lot about myself in the process and it's also kind of made us closer because we have survived Mm -hmm. and you know, it's, it's still only a year. So it's not like you know, we're out of the woods yet, but, but that was, that was my approach towards it. Like, fuck it. Right. Yeah. Why not? Let's do it. And one one of the common themes that you're, you're having as you're describing all of these stories throughout your life and every step that you took is I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about myself. And that's actually something that I spoke to on a TikTok today is never stop learning, never stop learning. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're showing is that you learning about yourself, you learn about the industry, you're learning about this new relationship. Everything is learning for you and becoming educated and becoming a subject matter expert <laughs> to the point of, you, you know, you are able to sell your businesses and go into an early retirement, really. And it's uh, for the young listeners out there, take those leaps Take those chances, mm-hmm. and as long as you apply yourself, because it's hard work. You worked, what, a million hours a week? Yeah, it's it, <laughs> because you never, you never can shut it off. Mm-hmm. You're, and especially, yeah. you know, with a lot of the security, and we haven't even talked about that, like the the security components to it, the security risks. I mean, you're never, Oh yes. it's, it's never, it's never out of your mind. And so, yes. I mean, it, it's a lot. I, I'm not complaining. I, I I've been mm-hmm. incredibly fortunate, but, um, but yeah. And you know, I think that's a really good message is just to never stop learning. And yeah, I don't ever want to stop learning. It, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how old I am. I always want to be learning something new. Like I just like earlier today I came by, I, I had a tap dance lesson. I've always yeah. wanted to learn tap. So Michelle got me tap dance lessons. Adult tap. Oh, look at that. Who does that? Right. Yeah. Michelle does. And it's, it's yeah. super, it's so much fun. I, it's just, yeah. Yeah. So learning something new. Why not? You know, what else, what else am I going to do? Yeah. But it's, that's awesome. to me, I think that's what keeps life interesting. Uh-huh. 
That's it. You did, you did talk about the security. And oh. that leads me to where you're, I think it was the first chapter where you're opening up and talking about at what point in my life did I think I'd be driving down the road with $200,000 cash in my car? Never. Never. Right. Nobody thinks that that's going to happen. This is for me one of the big problems that we have with it being a cash industry mm -hmm. is because it's opening up the businesses to that danger. Yeah. It's opening you up to that danger at any time feeling like you're going to be followed yeah. as you're moving money. It's that that's one of the um the less fun, definitely more serious pieces of the the, the industry and and the business mm -hmm. and and it's a you know, on one hand, it's like a, a great problem to have, right? Because right. you're, you're successful and you're, and you're, you're generating this revenue and you're generating this income. Um, on the other hand, it is a definite security risk. And this right. goes back to what we, I think you'd mentioned at the beginning about, you know, federal legalization. It's coming. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we need it to hurry up and get here sooner rather than later is because once we legalize at the federal level, that will open up banking institutions to get the cash out of yes out of the stores and get them you know set up with regular forms of payment venmo paypal mm -hmm. debit master whatever it is um, yep because right and now the that, banks do want to be a part of the industry because they, they see that there's a lot of money to be made from it they do but they're also yeah. reluctant to be the middleman in a felony transaction right because yep. that's that's the reality so um, there's about, and I think I say in the book, there's about 10% of the industry that does, that is able to find a way to get a bank account. Um, mm -hmm. usually it's through a loophole. There's usually not full transparency, but, and it's not full, full access banking, right? Full access banking mm -hmm. is, you know, you just like any, any other type of shopping, any other, you know, payment method. Um, there are some banks that will do deposit only. Okay. That's really not helpful if you're a retail where you're, you have to, you know, restock your inventory and you have to money coming right. in and going out. Like it, it needs to be a two way street. Um, not just deposit only. That's not very, very helpful. So, um, yeah, we need, we need federal legalization because until that mm -hmm. happens, you have people like me. Um, and I'm just, a, I was a small operator, but right. But the reality is, is that there's, there were certain times of the month where I would have to make a deposit or make a withdrawal from my safe in my store because mm -hmm. I didn't want too much on site. Like that was just having all my eggs in one basket and I wasn't comfortable with that. So you have to move it to an undisclosed location off site. And like, you know, when I was writing that, 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 that's, that's the introduction. Um, mm -hmm. my, my former partner, Jim, he was like, I didn't know you were doing that. It's like, of course you didn't. I'm not going to go broadcast that This is what's happening. Right. <laughs> right? He's like, I have no idea. I know that was the point. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, most people didn't know that, but that's the reality. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's stupid, right. but it's also yeah. how it is. How does that affect you with getting like home loans and such? Did you have to just pay up front? No. So for, something that I, okay. I, I talk about in the, in the, um, in the book is in 2000, I think 2012. So I opened in 2009, 2012. Um, mm -hmm. I had to start a staffing company to be able to make my federal, um, employer tax payments because right. how the IRS is set up. If you're an employer, right? Every, every employer pays their federal, you know, employer tax withholdings or, you know, whatever it is. And the, the IRS will let you make payments with money order 
up to $2,500. So mm -hmm. once your, once your obligation exceeds $2,500, then you are mandated to pay electronically. So right. how does that work if you're a cash only business? Well, it doesn't. Mm. So mm -hmm. when I was in this, I found myself in this situation, probably 2011, and I got a letter from the IRS that said, congratulations, you are now mandated to pay your, you know, by, by, by electronic payment. I went, what the hell? So I go to my CPA and I say, mm -hmm. hey, Terry, you know, I got this letter. I, I don't have a bank account. What am I supposed to do? She goes, well, hire a staffing company. They'll, they'll be the employer of record. They'll, you know, invoice you for services, lease your employees and just call it good. I'm like, great, done. Wow. So sounded great at the time. Again, remember super conservative part of California. So I started calling okay. staffing companies and nobody wanted my business. So mm -hmm. I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to start my own goddamn staffing company. Cause that's what I always <laughs> wanted to do. So I did. Yeah. And so wh while I didn't really anticipate this happening or didn't anticipate this benefit down the road, um, I was a, you know, W2 wage earner from my staffing company, which has really nothing to do with cannabis. So right. No, I didn't have to pay cash for like a home loan. I could just okay. show, well, here's my, here's my, you know, your stub here. Mm -hmm. And it, see, that's so, it's weird to think that that's a legal loophole because it looks like, you know, it, okay. You're just really bypassing. Sure. Sure. And so, however, that's how the government forces you to do it. Right. <laughs> and so, and so yeah. when you're talking about that, like, I was talking to somebody at one point and they said, well, doesn't, isn't that like money laundering? And I mm -hmm. went, well, okay. So I think what you have to look at is, is the intent, right? So am mm -hmm. I doing this out of intent to hide things? Actually the opposite. I'm doing this to, to be more, to, to actually pay my, what I owe. I, I'm trying to pay my taxes. I'm trying to like remit responsibly. I like, I, I want, everything tracked. And this is how, this is what I'm forced to do because as an employer, you have to make, you have to, you have these tax obligations. And so right. it, it, like the intent behind this was actually to be more legitimate, not to mm -hmm. hide things. And, and from all the attorneys that I've spoken to, and I trust me, there's been a lot of them in my life. That's, oh, that's yeah. what they say is like you, you, the the law is going to look at the intent behind your actions. Right. Right. Which is, I mean, it was an incredible, it's an incredible idea to do it, that. Well, it, it, it worked. Um, uh -huh. It worked well. And I just, again, like I, these are the things that everybody tells you when you're mm -hmm. a fledgling cannabis well, store owner. I think <laughs> these are the things that the lawmakers don't think of either. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. You could, you can have this, mm -hmm. but. It's, we really can't, we're going to give you no apparatus in which you can actually do it. Right. <laughs> you can have it. It's crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, of the most complicated laws and regulations, do you remember like which one was just the biggest pain in the butt for you? So when California was going down kind of the, the, the regulation road, there were two, they did it in two parts. A lot of, a lot of people don't know this, but in, in 2015, that was a year that I was really, really involved in Sacramento in the state Capitol, mm -hmm. um, advocating for responsible and balanced cannabis regulations. And so that year, the, the California state legislature did put together a package of 
three bills, two from the Assembly, one from the Senate, that built out for the first time in like 20 year, 19 years in California's history, um, one of the most robust regulatory frameworks in the country for cannabis. Um, and right on the heels of that in 2016 was when the voters legalized for recreational use. And so we had these two, um, these two laws, these, you know, one was a, one was the, the package of bills passed by the legislature. The other was what was passed by the voters. Those two language, those two laws didn't line up perfectly. So they were in some places contradictory. So we had, in some ways they were the same, some places contradictory. So we had these two almost competing working documents. So going okay. through the next couple of years, we as a state had to blend those into one system. And so that was a little bit complicated. I mean, even, mm -hmm. even like the first set of regulations going from like zero to, you know, three pieces of legislation that were signed by the governor in 2015 started to roll out and, and like the, well, takes a minute to, you know, make anything happen, but you start oh, prepping yeah. for it the very next year. Um, and that involved building out a whole new state agency for cannabis. It was the Bureau, well, it was first the Bureau of Medical Marijuana Regulation, then it was the Bureau of Cannabis Control, and now it's something different. But um, yeah, so getting all of, getting all the links in the supply chain under regulation, not just retail. Retail in 2015 and 16 were probably the most regulated because there were still some city regs that, that and ordinances that, that, we had to comply with, but, you know, getting cultivation regulated, getting distribution regulated, manufacturing, testing, and then retail, mm -hmm. um, in 2015, that was, that was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then as you know, we have the, the voter initiative on top of that and then blending the, 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 the two pieces together into one. So that was 15, 16, 17, all the way into 18, um, mm. before it kind of all hit and, we had one solid system. So right, it was a period of right. years that it was always something new, always something changing. Uh -huh. And you just have to keep going in the middle of it. And I will say this, you know, you know, I made the comment earlier and I make this comment in the book that in a lot of ways, California is the poster child for how not to do things. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I do stand by that, but what the state was really great to work with as they were rolling out the regulations and, and, the amount of grace periods they gave and the, the times that, you know, all, like the timelines they gave you to come into compliance were very generous. Mm -hmm. And so that was um, really That's good. It's all almost like they recognized that <laughs> they were messy with their communication. Well, I think they wanted it to, they, they wanted it to succeed, you know, not mm -hmm. just, not just the regulation as for its own sake, but they wanted the operators to succeed also. And so to right. do that, you do have to, um, Show some yeah. 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 This, I, a lot of this sounded like uh, anytime you're working with a corporate office and they roll out a new computer system and there's always going to be things that go wrong. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of offices uh, who say, I don't want to be the first one. I don't want to be the first yeah. one. And that's where I say, it's great that you went in, you did those steps. You were quote, the first one, right, who was fighting and battling with this, that the rest of us states can jump in and go, okay, so whatever California figured out, <laughs> we're going to do the after that. It's going to be great. Yeah. Well, and I think, and that was another piece of, you know, why I wrote the book is, is that there's, there is, um, 
some lessons for other states to learn that, that are, you know, like Indiana, for example, Indiana doesn't have any permissibility. So, you know, if they are, whoever they are, right. could be, um, like an advocacy group that wants to put something on the ballot. It could be the legislature or whoever, but if they're, if they're doing their research, like there's a lot of initiatives they can read. There's a lot of, you know, case law they can read, but my book kind of goes into the boots on the ground perspective. Like, what is it like from, from the front lines? Well, you know, here's some things you might want to think of. Sure. There's a ton of tax revenue, but you also have to know that that revenue is going to come from stores that are going to be operating only in cash. And there's a security risk. So how do you mitigate that? What happens if someone from Indiana comes knocking on your door and says, help us with our planning committee? (laughs) I, so I would, um, I would absolutely get involved in the industry again, if it could be from like a consultative um, standpoint, if it was doing um, outreach again, advocacy again, Mm -hmm. But as far as being an operator again, I have zero interest in that. Right. I, you know, they, they say that, you know, cannabis industry years are like dog years. And so, you know, I've done my 11. I'm good. Uh, had a fantastic journey. Wouldn't trade it for the world. But um, but I, I, I would not go into the industry again. Yeah. But I do love, I love the outreach. I love the advocacy. I think that that's really important. And so I, I would I would jump in there again um, at, at, at the so government So those level. of you from... Indiana who are fighting for legalization, (laughs) you know who to reach out to. (laughs) Happy to help. (laughs) Actually, that would make an awesome story. It really would. If you came from a state that, you know, California has had all these years and you come into a state where nobody's, well, I'm not going to say nobody's thinking, nobody's thinking it's going to happen there, right? And then it does. And you happen to be there at the time that it does. It, it would be, I think it would be a good ending to the story. Well, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm not too far from Indianapolis, you know, the capital. So, um, no. yeah, no. It, it, it could happen. What kind of things do you do in Indiana? Well, we've been, we've been remodeling our house. So okay. the, um, the, the house we bought is, it's kind of a cool story behind that too. Um, yeah. It was built by, by Michelle's grandparents. And so it's the house that she was like, it was her grandma's house, like her whole childhood. uh, And then even into her adulthood, her grandmother ended up passing in 2010. And so um, the house was sold out of the family by, by who was the, whoever the um, executor was Mm -hmm. in 2011. And so Michelle wanted to buy it then, but it just, it, she couldn't make it happen. So the house was sold and she'd always kind of wanted to get it back. Um, and we were, we were on vacation in Florida, um, just getting to know each other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've kind of, I have, I'm always interested in real estate. And so I, you know, I have all the apps on my phone and, and I just like to see, you know, what's going on. And I like to, you know, you know, just I'm nosy and it's just, it's an interest. I, I I do that too. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't buy, I just want to know, you know, what if, what if, (laughs) yeah, it's not like, yeah it's not really a hobby, but it's an interest. And so, mm-hmm. you know, um, so we're sitting on the, on the balcony of the, 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 the condo that we had, you know, one morning, like halfway through our trip. And, and I mm-hmm. thought, you know, let's just, I'm just going to open up the app and let's see what's like in it. Let's see what's for sale in Michelle's neck of the world. So I open up the, um, the app and she's like, Oh, well, I'm going to do the same. So I'm gonna look with you. So she's on her phone and I'm on my phone. And so she opens it up. She's like, Holy shit. She goes, this is my grandmother's house. So I'm like, and so we're looking at it. It had literally come on the market 
like hours before. What? Like it, yeah. So we're in Florida and we're, we kind of look at each other like, well, well, well shit, maybe we should buy it. So, um, yeah, I mean, literally she didn't know it was coming on the market. It just hit. Um, Mm. so we ended up putting an offer in, got it accepted a couple hours later and, and okay. And and okay. So you say this was a month after you got Mm -hmm. together. Uh huh. So your Florida, was that your first time meeting in person or your, okay. It was like the second time because the first time that would be too crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, what'd you do on your first date? We bought a house. God. Um, So, yeah, and again, like, and I talk about this in the book, like, you know, the universe giving you green lights, right? Your job is to follow them. It's like, holy Mm -hmm. shit, like, all right, let's let's go. Let's let's see. So we bought this house, um, Mm -hmm. and it was really cool. So this has been really cool for her. For me to see her back, like in this house, which she has so many, you know, memories of, and yeah, um, you know, like her dad's right across the street over on this side. It's super rural. It's like very, very country. So her dad's like mm-hmm. over the hill on this side. Her aunt's over here, and um, but just it, it's an old farmhouse, so it needed it needed yeah. some some remodeling, and so we've been doing that. Um, nice. But but there's a lot to do in Indiana. There's um, there's boating Uh-oh. during the summer. There's like all kinds of cool colors in the fall. There's festivals there's yeah tons of cool stuff from uh california to indiana in a farmhouse and you're living in sacramento redding or sacramento i was in so i was in redding that's where my stores were and then my my home was in santa rosa so i was commuting you know up on monday back on thursday that's not fun no yeah so you don't miss that no whatsoever i I, I don't miss that at all Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds, uh, you may be in Indiana, but it sounds like you're having an amazing life right now. Well, I, I want to always have an amazing life. That's mm-hmm. that's my goal. Um, no matter what I'm doing is to have an amazing life. And, and I feel fortunate right. that I've been able to do that so far. And I plan on doing more of that. But yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah speaking of, what's on the horizon for you? So I... I may have another book, um, Uh here. It's not, I haven't, you know, I'm again, building it here. Um, I'm not, so, so that's, that's kind of on my mind. Um, I would Mm -hmm. love to get back into, into doing more advocacy and more outreach, you know, like you were, you know, kind of, I think joking somewhat about Indiana, but, but I would like to get back into that. And so, um, if, if Indiana ever did decide to open up, you know, mm-hmm. discussions, I would be in there in a heartbeat. Cause I think it's, it, it's, it's interesting and, and, and I'm good at it and I love it. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. I, w- I would welcome an opportunity, an opportunity to, to do that again. But, um, honestly it's between, you know, the, the book launch last year, the remodel, um, uh, getting acclimated. It's, it's been a lot and um, yes. in a good way, in, in, in mm-hmm. a good way, but you know, but still, so um, so as far as what's what's next for me, I'm not real sure. Yeah. But, um, you always seem to have something in the works. Yeah. <laughs> something in the works. I mean, everybody needs to check this book out. It's just one of those. It's a great story to tell. You get to see how somebody can have so much of a desire and a will to create something and have all of these obstacles in life and be able to overcome them. 
And it's one of those things, I mean, if Jamie could do it, right? <laughs> and that's, you could do it too. And well, and, the, and I'm so glad you said that, yay, because that's yeah. exactly, you know, what I want people to walk away from it with is that, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't start with a lot. Um, I didn't right. have a lot of capital. I didn't have a lot of experience. Um, but what I did have is like a very clear vision um, and had confidence. And mm-hmm. I, those two things, and really in, in a lot of ways that, 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 that was it. And that's kind of almost all you need really. But I wanted people to see, look, um, if somebody can, can start with almost nothing and grow and how, mm-hmm. and, and achieve the success that I did, then fuck it. I can too. Like, that's what I want people to, to take away from the break. Right. And that's why I wrote it. And so maybe, mm-hmm. you know, hearing a little bit about, um, my ups and downs and how I never gave up, maybe that inspires somebody to keep going, you know, despite whatever troubles they're going through, or maybe it inspires somebody to take a chance and, and get out there and, and pursue their dream and pursue their passion. I mean, that's my hope. And, right. Um, because right. really, I mean, it, if I can do it, anybody can. Yes. And you just have to believe in yourself and, and your ability to do it. Now, do you do public speaking whatsoever? Um, you know, I haven't lately, but I, um, I used to do it all the time, just in, in, mm-hmm. in the course of all my outreach efforts. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, okay. I'm not afraid of the microphone. I, I would. All right. All right. I mean, some people might be like, you know what, does she do speaking engagement or something, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, happy to, happy yeah. to do that. Because you do have a very inspirational voice and a message and a story to tell. And I think that, um, yeah, that's something you could definitely leverage to folks out there. Well, thank you. Absolutely. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate yeah. the opportunity to come on and, and share my story. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. It's an incredible story. Make sure you check out the book, Unconventional. Uh, it's uh, it's an amazing. I, for me, because I love the law and the details, one of the things you told me was skip past the law part. And I'm like, <laughs> that's the part I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm a nerd like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, same. Yeah, but I yeah. will tell you, um, just for anybody that is interested in the book, um, it is forty percent off. There's promo code. Um, it's unconven forty, so you can go. And I, there's a link. You have to get it from my REO page, and I will find out. Okay, I'll it'll be linked link. in this episode. Yeah. Yes, but it's you can get it forty percent off the hardcover. Um, Amazon did have Kindle at 99 cents for a while. I'm not sure if that is still going on, but Probably. it is available on Kindle as well. So it you can get it Kindle. Amazon or, um, my REO page, which will be 40% off. Okay, perfect. We'll make sure to have the links there. You guys can, uh, catch up with Jamie and make sure you get the book. And if you have a web page, we'll get that on there and make sure that everybody's keeping up with everything you're doing. <laughs> and, and if you want to put your TikTok up, I think... Since you've been talking about the house, I'm thinking people are expecting to see TikToks of the house. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we have. Just, there's a bunch of. There's a bunch of Michelle and I. I don't know if we've actually uh-huh. done anything specific about the house, but okay. If there's anybody that's interested in seeing all of the crazy animals, mm-hmm. our adventure, yes. Um, okay, can, we'll have that linked as well. And so. that's um, yeah. So I yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Jamie. I really thank appreciate you so you much. Taking it's, the time. it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Do you use Rakuten? If not, why aren't you? All you have to do is go through Rakuten through the app or the website to make your online purchases and every quarter you get cash back.
Even better than that, Rakuten helps you find the deals of the day where you can get the most cash back and the products that you're looking for. Sign up through the link in this episode today and you'll get an additional $30 cash back on your first purchase of $30 or more. This is for a limited time, so make sure you sign up today. If you have a story idea or would like to appear in the show, email me, Lee, that's L-I, Lee at lesbianspeaking.com. Again, that's Lee, L-I, at lesbianspeaking.com. If you would like to support the show and get a little backside content, you can go to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash lesbianspeaking. Thank you for joining me and I will catch you next time.